Hi, and welcome to our very first LJPC Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Shannon Cunningham. This podcast is all about the people who work at and who attend La Jolla Presbyterian Church in La Jolla, California. We live in a beautiful and special community full of amazing people who have lived amazing lives. And I have the pleasure of interviewing some of them on this podcast. Subscribe to the LJPC Conversations podcast so you can hear their stories. So let's begin. And there's no better place to start than with my wonderful husband and the senior pastor of La Jolla Presbyterian Church, Paul Cunningham. Hi, Paul. Hello. Welcome to the very first LJPC Conversations podcast. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you what so does much LJPC for inviting me. stand for? Maybe we should say that. La Jolla Presbyterian Church. All right, Paul. We're going to start with you. Since this podcast is about getting to know people and getting to know people on the staff, I thought you would be the perfect first person to talk to. And we would love to know a little bit about yourself, maybe some about your childhood, your family of origin, how and where you grew up, whatever you want to share with us. Go for it. Well, thank you so much for uh, letting me be your first guest, Shannon. It's great to be here and great to have people listening. Uh, many people know I grew up in Fresno, California. I was actually a third generation. My grandfather and uh, mom were both born there and uh, spent the first 18 years of my life there and then went to Santa Clara University where I, I was a finance major and um, along that path, which I'm sure we'll talk about later, I got, got a hold of my heart and um, decided it was time for me to go to seminary. But spent a lot of time uh, in the Central Valley and uh, a lot of ag in my background, so um, that was a fun part of growing up. Tell us a little bit about the ag in your background. So my uh, grandfather and his family grew grapes, and so I spent a lot of my childhood uh, going out to the ranch and um, seeing the vineyard in action, whether that was picking grapes, making raisins, uh, sending the grapes off to make wine. Um, was always fun. My wife always uh, gives me a hard time about that we talk about the weather a lot in my family. <laughs> yes. And uh, the weather was very important for us. For those of you who are in agriculture, you know that um, your family's worried about the weather a lot. So uh, we were always watching the weather or listening to the weather or talking about the weather in my family. That's right. And since I have been married to you for almost 25 years, I know a little bit about you. And I know that you kind of grew up in a unique situation. Who lived next door to you when you were growing up? Uh, so my mom's parents, my grandparents lived next door. And we had a very uh, sort of unique situation. We had the fence that you would normally have between uh, neighbors, but we actually installed a gate so um, we could go back and forth into each other's backyards, and uh, which was great for me as a kid growing up because anytime I uh, was annoyed with my parents or they were bothering me or hassling me in my perspective, I could just go next door to my grandparents and hang out over there. <laughs> it sounds very ideal. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. I think it was a wonderful experience for me. And most kids don't have the opportunity you know, to grow up next door to their right. grandparents. And so it was, uh, it was great because my dad's family all lived in uh, Tennessee. So right. did not get to see them very often, but um, had a lot of great memories and experiences with my grandparents. Right. That's very special. So tell us a little bit about your relationship with your parents and your grandparents and maybe some lessons that you learned along the way. I know that your grandpa has a unique story. We don't have to go into that in depth. We don't probably have time for that. But just a little bit, if there's anything you want to share about some lessons you learned growing up 
with them such an integral part of your life and your parents? Um, I think, you know, one of the things I learned early on was just the importance of, of church. I mean, my parents were very involved in uh, planting the church where I grew up, and my grandparents attended that church uh, as well. So from an early age, I learned that a part of the rhythm of life was uh, going to worship and being together with the church family. I think one of the th other things my parents really helped me with, um, which I didn't realize this when I was a kid, but uh, we would always go over to the retirement community uh, that was near our home, and we wound up kind of adopting a couple of the older women who um, lived in that community. They would come over for lunch or dinner, or we'd go by their house. And so I think from a fairly early age, um, I was comfortable engaging uh, people who were much older than me and conversations and getting to know them and hearing their story and uh, being able to see them also be interested in me. So um, I think I learned a lot. Um, you know, it's interesting going out to the vineyards with my grandfather. I learned a lot. Um, he would he would describe like planting a new grapevine and how long it took for that grapevine to actually produce fruit and how impatient he was of waiting for the vines to actually produce fruit. But then I think about, you know, my own faith and think about how often Jesus used the imagery of the vineyard and the vines and the vine dresser and all of that. And, and I think just realizing that we're all on this journey and we have this process of growth and sometimes it takes a while um, for fruit to come, whether that's from a grapevine or even from our own lives. Hmm, that's cool. So um, let's talk about food for just a second. Okay. <laughs> Why not? So you grew up around a lot of good food. Yes. Tell us about that a little bit. Uh, wow, I wasn't expecting that question. <laughs> I just threw that. The, uh, I'm, not. <laughs> I'm hungry. So, I haven't had I know yet. we need to go eat lunch. Uh, so my <laughs> family is Armenian uh, heritage, and uh, so I grew up eating a lot of Armenian food. I had a lot of Armenian friends. Um, I was laughing. I showed Shannon the invite list to my high school reunion, and I've never seen so many Armenian last <laughs> names uh, in my life. And so uh, we, you know, we love to eat. My mom and my grandma were both incredible, amazing cooks, and we have uh, meals together as a family, always Christmas, Thanksgiving. That was the great thing about living next door to my grandparents. Mm -hmm. So, um, so yeah, I grew up like liking food a lot. <laughs> And when you came home from school, what was waiting yes, for you? Yes, I know this is probably where this question is leading. My <laughs> wife loved to know that every day when I got home from school, my mom had made uh, fresh-baked chocolate chip cookies to welcome uh, my brother and me home. Yes, Mimi cookies, which my kids still love. Absolutely. <laughs> they love Mimi cookies. And you never leave that table hungry. No, there was always plenty of food. You learned to take small portions because there would always be seconds or thirds. <laughs> always seconds and thirds, Yes. All right, Paul, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you came to know Christ? So I started going to a camp called Calvin Crest, which is actually where we met. It is where we met. And began going there when I was going into fourth grade. And so would spend every summer up there, spend a week or two. And the summer after my, I think it was going to seventh grade, so starting in middle school or junior high back then, uh, we had, went to camp, and the speaker spoke, and we went back to our cabins that night, and the counselor of our cabin said, hey, if there's anyone interested in giving their life to Christ, I'm going to pray, and if you'd like to pray in silence after I'm done praying, uh, that would be great. And so he prayed, and I prayed at that point and asked Jesus to come into my life. And so that was the beginning of that journey, and throughout the years, that camp played a very significant role 
in the maturing in my faith and the um, prompting probably sometimes in my faith and eventually landing in a relationship with you and getting married. <laughs> That's right, <laughs> right. That's right. Uh, 27 years ago, I think. Uh, oh, gosh. Are we aging don't, ourselves? Don't do the math. That's a lot of years. <laughs> we should say here that our kids are 20. Maybe we should say something about our children. Oh, yes. You haven't asked me about our children yet. Well, you so know, I said here we go. Talk a little bit about so your children. So our, our kids were both born in Texas. Uh, Morgan, our daughter, was is 20, and she's a junior at Whitworth University. And our son Micah is 17, and he is a senior in high school at La Jolla High. He also was born in Texas, so our kids are uh, both Texans, even though Shannon and I are both are from um, originally from California. Both our kids were born there. So. That's right. That's right. So how did you end up being a pastor? Oh, boy. Uh, I know that's a long story. That's a, I will try and condense, a condense bit, this maybe. for maybe. everybody. Yeah. So I graduated from Santa Clara with a finance degree and fully anticipated going into uh, the financial industry. And I graduated in the spring of 1988, which was right after the stock market crash in October of 87. And so... Jobs were a little scarce, and I wasn't quite sure exactly what I wanted to do. And a church in Three Rivers, California, which is right below Sequoia National Park, uh, got a hold of me. I don't really even know how that happened because that was before cell phones and the internet and all those sorts of things. But somehow they were able to get a hold of me and um, eventually offered me a job to go and work and do youth ministry and preach every now and then, teach adult education. I was way out of my league. They had normally hired interns from San Francisco Seminary, and then they hired me as a finance major graduating from college. <laughs> and so it was uh, incredibly intimidating. I preached my first sermon there and told my parents they could not come because I was so <laughs> concerned about what I might say or not say. And But it was there I met Keith Mitchell, who was the uh, senior pastor of the church, and he was the one who really saw something in me that I hadn't seen and encouraged me to apply to seminary. And so um, I went to seminary thinking that I would go for three years, graduate, and then go back into business with no thought of ever being a pastor. And so I started my first year at Princeton, and um, it was a hard year. It was, you know, struggled with kind of figuring out who God was in the midst of that, and then took the year off um, after my first year and worked at Calvin Crest as the program director for a year, which is when you and I met um, on staff. And it was during that year that really felt a calling to be a pastor. I had thought at that point um, when I was interning that maybe I wanted to do camping ministry or something like that. But really that that um, year, because I went through that year of being an intern, I was like, no, I think I'm called to be a pastor. So I made the decision to go back to Princeton and finish up and uh, thought, I would actually just do youth ministry. I told God I would be a pastor, but I only wanted to work with students, and I did not want to work with adults. And that worked out really well for me. So God, God has, a, has a strange sense of humor, and I'm convinced of that, but he definitely uh, kind of guided and moved the process to where I am today. So. What was your first call? So our first call was in Wichita Falls, Texas, Ooh. and uh, I remember flying out there and flying from Dallas to Wichita Falls, which, for those of you who don't know where it is, is halfway between Dallas and Lubbock, Texas. 
and uh, never seeing as many tumbleweeds as I had in my entire life because it was just barren, and I wondered, is this really where God wants us? But it was a great church, and we had a wonderful uh, three-year, three-and-a-half-year run there and then moved to Lubbock, and I was the head. Of, I was an associate in Wichita Falls for youth and adults, basically, and then moved and was a head of staff in Lubbock, Texas, for eight years. And then... And then we moved uh, in... August of 2006, we moved to La Jolla to pastor here. So our kids were in going to third grade and kindergarten, which was a great time for us to move and great opportunity uh, that we had here. And so we've been here 12 years, and I guess I'm just starting my 13th year. That's right. And our kids have been blessed to grow up with this wonderful congregation. Yes. It's yes. A, been a great place for our kids. It's been a gift for all of us, definitely. Yes. All right, Paul, you know you can't do a podcast with me without me asking some nitty-gritty questions. Yes. I'm <laughs> quite ready, I'm sure. <laughs> okay, I'm going to start you with an easy one. All right. Okay, what's the best part about being a pastor? Oh, wow. Um, I think there's a lot of great things about being a pastor. I am... I, um, you know, getting to journey with people in their life, I think it's fun uh, or it's a blessing when people, when you get to see the transformation happening in their lives, as God gets a hold of them and they see the greatness and the wonder and the beauty of who Jesus is, and you get to see uh, the transformation happen. And then to be in La Jolla for so long has been great, to be here 12 years, as long as we've I've been in any community and to get to travel through life with other people and to see, you know, the ups and the downs and to celebrate those wonderful moments and to marry, you know, marry people, baptize their kids. There's just a lot of great joys that, that come with being a pastor. That's right. That's right. And we've had a really positive experience, which we're, which we're very thankful for. Yes. All three of our churches have been such yes. a gift in our lives. Absolutely. Definitely. So there's lots of wonderful things, but there must be some challenging things as well. So what's, what do you think is the most challenging thing, if, if not the most, you know, something that is challenging for you? I think the challenge or the struggle is um, because we've been here for a long period of time is walking with people um, through difficult times. And whether that's divorce, whether that's children going astray, whether that's the death of a loved one, um, you know, as you're in a place longer and longer, you get to know, not necessarily more people, but you certainly get to know more people, but you get to know a lot more people in a more um, connected sort of a way, and you know a lot more of their stories. So I think that's always, for me, the most complicating thing is just being in people's lives and trying to remind them of the love and the hope of Jesus when they're really walking through some dark times. That, that I mean, the psalmist says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, Lord, I know you are there. And I think that that's, um, that's what I have to remind people of. But I think that's also just really hard when people are really trying to serve God well and really trying to honor God in their lives and things are not working out mm-hmm. how they hoped. Yeah. Hard to offer words of hope. Sometimes. Yes. Yeah. Because sometimes they they feel as though they're just, you know, they're they're, they're not reaching and they're not deep enough. Mm-hmm. So. That's right. It's hard to be the one that has to have all the answers and not have the answers. Yes. Yes. And to look to <laughs> Jesus and, you know, and people sometimes wonder, you know, where is God and how come I don't hear from God? And right. they come to me wanting me to help them with that. And I don't always have the answers for that either. That's right. That's right. 
Um, uh, not to change things drastically, but um, this morning you said maybe you hadn't thought of a funny pastor story. Did you think of one in the last few hours? <laughs> well, there's always, I think the hard part is there's always funny anecdotal stories because, you know, I think about when people meet me and we have a conversation for 10 or 15 minutes before they realize what I do. <laughs> yeah. And then they ask me what I do and I tell them I'm a pastor and I can see them mentally in their head saying, what did I just say to Paul? And what did I tell him that I probably shouldn't have told him? Or what kind of language did I just use? And uh, and describing me or describing a situation. So that's funny. I was, I actually was thinking about, and I don't know why this memory came back, but, um, you know, as a pastor, I always talk to parents when they're going to baptize their children. And I always say to them, you know, it's best to baptize your kids before they're a year old. And uh, this morning I was reminded of when we were in Texas at one of our churches baptizing a little boy who was about a year and a half or two years old. And, and the reason you don't baptize them when they're that old is because they can walk and they can get away. <laughs> yes. And so I remember the parents, they were holding the boy and they put him on the floor to stand there so I could kneel down and baptize him. And he literally just ran away. And he, he just started trucking down the center aisle of the church and got three quarters of the way down. And he just stopped and looked and his parents were trying to get him to come back. And I was trying to get him to come back and he was not moving. And so uh, I just took the little font of water out of the baptismal <laughs> font and the little bowl of water and started walking towards him. And he just took off running again. And I was like, this child really does not want to get baptized. And so finally we got a hold of him and brought him back down and he just squirmed and moved and it was a pretty humorous situation, but, um, so that's definitely, but those, those sorts of things happen in our, in my life of just, you know, random things that happen at weddings or funerals or and, well, not often funerals, but weddings and oh, baptisms. Gosh, but um, you never know, even at funerals. So so basically you were chasing around, chasing yes. him around the church with a bowl of water. Yes, so parents, if you're planning to get your kid baptized, <laughs> do it before they're two years old because I don't want to chase them around the church and try and throw water on them. <laughs> that is so funny. I actually don't remember that. I don't think you were there. <laughs> I think that was a service you were not at. Oh, gosh, that's funny. Um, all right. Uh, so, Paul... What annoys you about the church? Or that's kind of a hard question. I thought you were just going to ask me what annoys me. Because <laughs> I have lots of things I can, I was going to say traffic. I knew. I, that's the first thing I thought of that you were going to say is traffic. People getting in my way. People not driving like I want them to drive. Uh, what, so annoy what, a, what annoys you about the church? The church. I, church I, people. Um. Hmm. Yeah, that's a little... Maybe you shouldn't ask other people this question. So maybe because I'm married to you, you get away with it. Oh, gosh. I think that... And I don't think this is just simply the church, but I think... Um, I, I struggle when people don't want to try and understand the big picture. Mm -hmm. um, I think the world we live in, the society we live in, um, and not just here in 2018, but just um, in the last 10, 15, 20 years, I think we get very caught up in our own agenda, whether that's political, ideological, um, identity, social, whatever, whatever agenda it is. And I think people, and, and I include myself in this at times, but people really struggle with, um, or people actually know that they struggle. They don't think about trying to say, how do we grasp the bigger picture what's when, when this person behaves this way when this person says this 
Um, what's the larger context of why they are saying that? And it, what the person may be saying may be completely wrong, um, but I think it's just this idea of, uh, you know, we're very uh, individualized, and, and I think that sometimes that's a struggle in the church. I think it's a struggle in, in society as a whole. And so I don't know if that's annoying, but that would probably be something that that I work hard on, of even in my own life, of saying, am I listening as well as I need to be listening? Yeah, a so, frustration. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I love what I get to do. So, I mean, yes. it's, I may be easily, I may be quickly annoyed, but usually that's why I think it's hard for me to think of something that's yes sticks with me for a long time. You move on. Yes. <laughs> yes. You have to move on. So, do you have any fears for LJPC now or in, into the future? I think the fear, and I, I articulated this with our elders years ago, and I think the fear is always um, sort of hitting cruise control, and whether you know the image I used was circling the airport and and never really landing the plane. That we get caught up in thinking we're doing all that we can be doing, or we're doing the right things, or we're doing the good things, which I think we are doing those things. But uh, the fear is just complacency, you know, and I think the fear for me is I've been here 12 years now and, um, you know, how do we keep coming up with uh, new ways of reaching the community? And I don't want anyone to ever look at our church and think, um, I'm not even sure why they're in this community. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that complacency is a big fear and a concern Mm -hmm. of mine. And uh, do you have some hopes? What are your greatest hopes for LJPC? Well, I think one of my biggest hopes right now, and we've you know been talking about this a lot, is the launching of Big Table, which is um, a new outreach ministry to the restaurant industry here in La Jolla and the greater San Diego area. And I think my hope in that is that as we think about how we extend hospitality to the restaurant industry, to those who show us hospitality, um, we'll also show... We'll also show more hospitality to one another. Mm. Um, so I think that that's a hope that we we don't just talk about being an inviting, welcoming congregation, but we actually um, show that to others when people visit and people feel comfortable or they feel welcome or they feel as though someone wants to know them. Or as we talk about, we want to know their story because you know when we hear their story, it makes our story a more rich and complete story. So I think that the hope is that we continue to focus on Christ. We continue to figure out new and unique ways to reach our community. And and then also, you know, the greater San Diego area and mm-hmm. the world. Yeah, Big t- Table is an opportunity to be intentionally kind yes. to those that serve us on a daily basis. And so maybe that will filter into the life of the church yeah. and to the congregation. Yeah. And I think, we, cool. I think people want to be welcoming. I think we mm-hmm. just, you know, we're all... We, we sit where we sit, we know who we sit by, we get comfortable, and I think, you know, and even for me, it's the same way. I have to remind myself of getting out of the, the comforts that I have um, and being kind and compassionate mm-hmm. to others. That's right. This is a very loving and kind and welcoming congregation. It really is. is. Yes, we've been very blessed to, mm-hmm. to have that. So. Yes, yeah, definitely. All right, I'm going to do a little thing called the speed round. Great. Where I'm just going to ask you a few questions, and I'm not going to ask for an explanation. I may give you an explanation, because I, <laughs> I, 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 I might want to expand. You should. You should. All right. I may I may have a follow-up question. Who knows? Who knows? All right. Let's go. What are you reading now? 
Uh, I am reading a book called Sing Us a Song of Joy, which is by... My wife's looking at me like she's never heard this book title. I have it. I have it. <laughs> uh, Phil Eaton is the author. Phil is the, was a former pro, uh, president at Seattle Pacific University and is on the board of Whitworth University, board of trustees, and that's where I got to know him. Uh, but the book is really about um, how Israel, when they found themselves in exile, uh, were asked by the people of Babylon to sing them a song. And the question is, what sort of song are we singing? And do we know the tune? Do we know the melody? Uh, what does that sound like? And I think for us in the church today, there is this sense, I'm not sure if we feel like we're in exile, or we feel like we're in bondage, or we feel like we're on the outside, or whatever the case is. But um, where I resonate with the book is really thinking through uh, what sort of song do we need to be singing to our community? What, what's that song of hope that the people who are around us uh, get to hear? So I'm reading that. I just finished Canoeing the Mountains, which is a book by Todd Bolsinger, which is kind of plays off the Lewis and Clark theme of when Lewis and Clark went looking from the Pacific Ocean, they assumed they'd find another mighty river that would take them all the way um, from where they got off all the way to the Pacific Ocean. And so they had all these canoes to accomplish that. And then they realized there was no river like that. And so they had to rethink um, they had to rethink what there was that they or how they were going to accomplish what they wanted to accomplish. And I think uh, what Bolsinger argues is the church is kind of in that same place today, that we have to rethink um, not necessarily the mission we're called to, but how it is that we're going to accomplish that mission. Mm-hmm. So that's that's something I'm res- resonating with and struggling with right now. Hmm. All right. If you could join any band, which band would you join? Well, there's two bands. One has broken up, which is <laughs> R.E.M., which was my favorite all-time band. So I'm really bummed with Michael Stipe and the guys from R.E.M., because that would probably be the band, but currently I'd have to join you two. Oh, of course. Yes, Bono and the boys. <laughs> so would you be the lead singer, or would you play an instrument, and what instrument would you play? Yeah, see, you you, you know me better than asking that question, <laughs> because I would want to be a roadie. Uh-huh. Like, I do not want to be up front. I mean, I guess it would be great to sing. I think to play guitar really well, that would be awesome, but I, I've always been kind of, the person in the back, even though I'm up front every Sunday morning. Um, but I would love to be a roadie for you, too. I would still do that if I could possibly do that. <laughs> your secret life is a roadie. Yes, my new book. <laughs> what, what's your favorite dessert? Anything chocolate is favorite dessert. <laughs> All right. What about your favorite movie? That's really hard. I think Shawshank Redemption goes way up there. Probably some of the original Star Wars movies um the mission was an old time favorite i haven't watched that in a long time so those would be those would be some of the tops all right what what's your favorite book of the bible and why and 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 of course i have to ask you that because you're a pastor what's your favorite (laughs) book of the bible and why well it's not revelation (laughs) shocking for some people i'm sure to hear that i think there's two um one is Philippians, just because it's Paul's letter of joy. It's this mm-hmm. church that he loves. It's his encouragement to them. It's the reminder of who Jesus is and what Christ has done and becoming fully you know, becoming fully human, dwelling amongst us and, and living with us. Um, so that's New Testament. Old Testament, I think I'd have to go with Jonah because I think it really is, you know, the, the whole point of Jonah is to teach the nation of Israel to go and let others know um, 
about what God has done for them. I mean, Jonah kind of epitomizes the nation of Israel. But as I think about my own life, that this kind of push that God always had in my life to move me out into ministry and my, uh, in the early stages, lacking of that desire to go and become a pastor and to do the things that um, that God has called me to, even though there's this great news that needs to be told. So I think Jonah is really that sense of there's an incredible story that needs to be told, and um, am I looking for ways in which God is telling me to tell that story, or God is encouraging me to tell that story, or am I just kind of become isolated and think about, well, I just do that on Sunday mornings, and um, not really think about the other ways that get to live into that story. Nice. I like that. So that's that's probably, at least today, that's, that's the favorite book. <laughs> All right. Do you have anything else you'd like to share, or do you have anything? Is there anything coming up in the church life you'd like to announce? Uh, wow. There's always something coming up at this church, which is <laughs> beautiful, beautiful and wonderful. Yeah. And you know, um, I I think you know the Harvest Festival is coming up, mm-hmm. so I think the first Sunday of November is going to be a great uh, outreach to our community. That's part of what it's really about. Is it's not just for us, although sometimes I think people think it is, but it's really a way of how do we you know, take over the rec center and invite people in and have the food trucks on Draper and, and just say, we're a church that, that cares about our community. So I'm really, I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to our partner church from Malawi being here during that time as well. So I think that's going to be um, a lot of fun. And uh, thank you for letting me be on your podcast. That's just really (laughs) nice of you to let me be the first one, the first guest. Uh, And it really, La Jolla Press is a great church. And I just feel really blessed and honored to pastor here right right well thank you paul cunningham you are quite welcome for joining me on our very first ljpc conversation podcast and thank you to everyone for listening please subscribe so you don't miss a single episode this podcast has been produced by me shannon cunningham and our wonderful director of communications jen cetra